Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. I want to talk to you today about faith that moves God in times of shaking. I think it's appropriate to start with a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. I like that. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this in the New Living Translation. Listen to this. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. I want to ask you a question. How is your faith doing? How is your faith doing? Because we live in a time that is shaking many, many people's faith. I see people in crisis in their faith. I see people that are being hit and moved by the winds and the waves of doctrine, ideology, ideas and philosophies that are not rooted and grounded in Scripture. I see them being shaken. I see God's people being shaken in the time that we live. COVID-19 has been an unprecedented challenge for us. It's um, caused us to, to get out there to the margins to move to the outside extremes, the confusion around the disease, the disagreement among family and friends and experts, the questions of government overreach and the Constitution, and the isolation that many people have, have felt and experienced have shaken people everywhere. And I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know all of this. I'm telling you what's obvious. Add to the, that the issues of racism and the killings of George Floyd and Ahmed Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor, uh, questions of police brutality, so-called anti-fascism, radical left and right extremes, and, and many people are being shaken in their faith right now. Division, anger, argumentation are shaking people up. Everyone has an opinion. Does anybody out here not have a strong opinion about what's going on? If you raise your hand, I'm going to pray for the spirit of lying to leave you. Right? Because we know that everyone has an opinion. Listen to what Proverbs 21.2 says. I think this is very telling for our times. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. I've been finding myself asking God throughout this time to examine me. I've been asking God, show me where I'm not seeing rightly. Not Listen, it's really dangerous if you come to the time that we live with an idea that you've already got it figured out, that you're already settled, that you can't be moved, you can't be changed, you already know the truth and everybody else is wrong. If that is the approach that we have in the time that we live, it's so very dangerous. We have to be learners, we have to be students. What's the very word disciple mean? It means a learner. So we know, all of us here, you know, we haven't arrived, have we? So we need so desperately right now in the time that we live for God to help us, and only faith 
in a rock-solid Jesus can enable us to weather the storm that we live in right now. And so I want to ask you, where are you placing your trust? Where are you placing your trust? Who alone can uphold you and help you stay on track? We need faith in God right now. We need faith in Jesus Christ. I want to look at a story today of somebody that was an outsider and kind of an enemy to Israel and how that person was able to somehow become beloved to people who should have been his enemies and how he also became beloved to God. I want to look at a centurion who needed a miracle from Jesus. And so I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 8. So if you got a Bible or you got your device, I want to ask if you do this with me. If you got a Bible or a device, will you go ahead and, and open it up to your Bible app and turn to Matthew 8? I think it's really important for us to read the Scripture. When he entered Capernaum, this is Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, Jesus is the he here, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that very moment. I love that story. Now let's get a little background here, the character background of this centurion, based upon what we know in the scripture, both from this text and the gospel of Luke, share some really interesting information about him. First of all, a centurion would have been kind of similar to a sergeant, and he would have been in charge of a hundred soldiers in the Roman army. He would have been despised. Generally speaking, centurions would have been hated by the Jewish people because they were the occupying army. And these guys were the ones who had the ability to say to a hundred troops, go and deal with that uprising. Go and deal with that rebellion. And so he would have been seen as a filthy Gentile enemy and an oppressor. However, according to Luke's gospel account, this particular centurion had a very good reputation as a man who both loved Israel and even helped them build a church, a synagogue. In Luke chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, it says this. I'll just read it to you. And when they, that is the elders of the Jews, came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. That is, heal his servant. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. You see, he loved their nation and he built them a synagogue. His love for them broke down the barrier of race and religion. His love for them broke down the barrier of race and religion. They should have been separated by race and by religion, and yet this man had demonstrated so much love for the nation of Israel and for the Jews of that time that he had helped them. I'm guessing he had financed the building of their synagogue, and they respected and they honored him, and there was this mutual love that they had for each other, even though they should have been so far apart. 
Am I talking to anybody? And I see in this man the kind of faith that moved the heart of God. How many of you know Jesus is God? Right? So we see in this man the kind of faith that moved the heart of God. And I, I just want to share several characteristics of the kind of faith in the time that we live that moves the heart of God and helps us to be able to respond to the time that we're in. The first thing I want you to notice is that he had a faith of humility and honor that opened the heart of God. He had a faith of humility and honor that opened the heart of God. It says when he entered Capernaum, the centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. And verse 8 says, he said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, this guy was used to being in charge. This guy would have the tendency, because of his authority, to maybe look down on people. But there's nothing like that in him. He's a man of honor. He's a man of humility. This word appeal means to call out and come alongside someone. It speaks of desperation and deep need. It shows a sense of dependence, trust, and humility. He knew Jesus was greater than him, and he knew Jesus could be trusted. And so he approached Jesus as though Jesus was the great one and he was the small one. He understood who Jesus was. Secondly, he calls him Lord. And this is a term that was used to denote a recognition of who Jesus really was and is. Lord is the same word used in the Greek version of the Old Testament to speak of God as the master and the owner of everything. This officer recognized that Jesus was the ultimate master over everything, including disease. So when he looked at Jesus, he immediately thought in terms of the military, and he recognized that this was the great general of generals. He was the commander-in-chief, and whatever he said had to obey, and even sickness and disease had to listen to the voice of this great general. That's how he saw Jesus. And then you see in him a faith of compassion for others. That moves the heart of God. A faith of compassion for others. Verse 6 says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The word here, servant, this is interesting, indicates a young boy. So this strong, macho centurion, who had likely seen a whole lot of death, and was probably battle-hardened to suffering, had a heart of compassion for his servant boy. He seems to have had the ability to empathize with the suffering of this boy and care deeply for him. You know, often in that time when a Roman centurion or Romans in general, uh, I don't know if you know this, but slavery was all over the Roman Empire. And the entire Roman Empire was built on the back of slavery. And Many times, slaves were treated like property, like animals. And yet, here this, this man has this servant boy at home, and the Scripture indicates that he's laying there paralyzed, and he's suffering terribly, and, and he feels it. He feels it. He enters into it. He empathizes with it. And we see from Jesus that he's willing to act when he sees people of compassion. There's no hesitation in him. Jesus said that if you saw him, you saw the Father. So he's perfectly representing what God the Father is like. And his first words is, I will come and heal him. I will. 
What happened? He was being moved by a man who was demonstrating compassion. His heart was being opened by a man demonstrating compassion, which takes me to the third point. Faith submitted to God's authority moves his hand. Faith that is submitted to God's authority moves his hand. Listen to what the centurion says, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Talk about confident. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. No hesitation. No no wavering. No faltering faith. Complete confidence that the Lord is going to heal his servant. And then he says this, For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, this centurion understood authority. He was able to understand how spiritual authority worked as well. He knew that all Jesus had to do was speak a word. If we understand the authority of Jesus, we understand that he has all authority and everything must submit to his word. Amen? How many of you are are confident in God's authority? You're confident in his word. Because I'm telling you, we need faith right now. I I, I hope that's coming through. Like if there was ever a time we needed to take our focus and put it on the Lord himself and have real, heartfelt, confident, bold, humble faith, it's a time, now is that time. Amen. And that takes me to the fourth point. Faith that's bold but humble moves God to marvel. And I I know I already spoke of humility, but I want to come back to it because over and over again, the idea of humility bleeds through this text. This idea that he was bold, but yet he was humble. And a lot of times we can't see how those two things go together, right? When we think of bold, maybe we think of arrogant. But in the scripture, you can be bold and humble. In fact, I'm just going to put before you this idea. I don't think you can truly be bold in the biblical sense unless you are humble. Because that boldness comes out of a recognition of who God is and who you are. And you recognize that God is so far above, so transcendent, so completely higher than you and I are to an insect. And yet that God came down and clothed himself and became one of us and he's near. And so he's also imminent. He's nearer than your skin, closer than your breath. He's a God that is at hand. Amen. So bold, humble faith. It says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He approached Jesus with great honor and respect. He was submissive but completely confident. He expected Jesus would heal his servant because he knew who Jesus was. Do you know what's interesting? There's not many times in the Bible that it says Jesus marveled. But ironically, overwhelmingly, whenever he marveled at someone's faith, it was with someone who wasn't even part of the nation of Israel. He was blown away by this Gentile, centurion, outsider, so-called enemy, man of authority. And yet this guy was so confident and so bold and yet so filled with humility that when he said, okay, Lord, I know you have authority and whatever you say will happen. You don't even have to come under my roof. I know you're going to do it. Jesus goes, wow. Wow, I haven't. He even tells people around, I haven't seen this kind of faith even in my nation, even among my own people. I haven't seen this kind of faith. I want that kind of faith. 
I don't think I have it right now, but I want it. Lord, please give us that kind of faith. It's bold, but humble. I want to make God marvel. How about you? Don't you want to make, can't you just imagine God marveling at your faith? That's a cool concept to me. And then faith in Jesus will invite you to God's table. That's the next thing about this faith. Faith in Jesus will invite you to God's table. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 10 through 12. He says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's Jesus saying? He's simply saying that he responds to faith and not physical heritage, race, or bloodlines. This is revolutionary because Jesus is declaring that Gentiles, non-Jewish people who would put faith in him will sit in a place of honor at the great kingdom banquet with all the patriarch. Can you imagine you and I are going to sit at the great banquet? And we're going to get to ask Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Moses, and who's your Bible hero? Elijah, Elisha, Paul, Peter. Who, who do you look, who, who are you, like, you know, you've already talked to God about it. You're like, Lord, when I get there, I want an appointment with Paul. Any of you like that? I know you're going to start with your grandma, or your mom, or your dad, or your, but after you've had that time, you're, you're going to go to that banquet, and you're going to want to sit down and talk to some of the great heroes of the faith. You know what's cool is when you arrive, they're going to say, some of them are going to say something like this to some of us. Oh my goodness, it's you. I've been waiting to talk to you. Your testimony is reverberated up here. People know you. Let's talk. But he's saying that faith will, in Jesus, invites us to that table. You and I get to sit at that table. And that takes me to my last point, that faith in Jesus moves him to action and results. Now, I have to say something before I finish here. I want to make this perfectly clear. Faith is not self-generated. Okay, we don't initiate this relationship. God does. The scripture even teaches that faith is a gift from God. And I don't understand how it all works, but let me just say, this centurion had somehow over time because the Holy Spirit had worked on him and had prepared his heart somewhere over the course of time, had God had made himself known, had, had evidenced to the centurion the reality of Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, and he'd come to build them a synagogue, and he was already trusting of them, and he was on his way toward faith in Jesus because God was the first actor, God was the initiator, God had gone after him, chased him, moved after him, pursued him, loved him and now there was this moment in time where all of that was paying off all of the first work that God had done the heavy lifting the digging the foundational work was done and now this man was open and prepared and it was his time to see not only a miracle but here's the greatest miracle in this story the greatest miracle isn't that his servant gets healed the greatest miracle is that this man who already had a heart toward Yahweh the God of the Hebrews is about to encounter Yahweh in the flesh and he's about to see this is a new day I'm part of that same family in fact Jesus says you're at the table baby you're at the banqueting table wow 
See, faith in Jesus moves him to action and results. And to the centurion, Jesus said this, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. No laying on of hands, right? Nobody had to travel. He's already away from his servant. And yet at that very hour, they were able to ascertain that Jesus had healed him because Jesus said, it's done. It's done. And it's done because you knew I could do it. You knew I would do it. I love that kind of faith. He healed the servant boy. And when we put trust in Jesus, we'll see life-changing results in ourselves and others. Putting your trust in Jesus will change your life forever. Amen? How many of you here have a testimony of a changed life when you put your trust in Jesus Christ? I do. Amen? Amen corner? All right, it's amen corner over here. Who else is a part of my amen corner? All right, all right. You have a, you have a testimony of a changed life from the moment you said, I, I believe you, Jesus. I trust in you. Amen. We all do. We're, that's why we're here. Think about it. We would never get together if it wasn't for Jesus. Think about it. He drew us together, this motley crew, because of Jesus. Amen. Aren't you glad? Let's make sure that we maintain our faith in Jesus and we fight for that unity. Amen.